announced to us, he goes to Everton Park State School, that he, he thinks that his principal is a Christian. And um, Sharon said, why, why is that, Icky? Why do you think your principal's a Christian? And he replied, I saw her at lunchtime telling some kids to pick litter up. And I thought, she loves the environment. She loves God's creation. And so she must love God as well. And it set off a really interesting conversation in our family about how confusing it is that it can be hard to tell from the outside who loves Jesus and who doesn't, who sort of says, I'm one of Jesus' people, and who doesn't know, doesn't care, maybe hasn't come to that place yet. Because who knows that there are many people out there who don't acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, to use some kind of Christian-y language, who don't maybe love Jesus, but are about his work in one way or another, uh, telling people to pick up litter, you know, working to, to, to bring an end to poverty, to bring an end to suffering, to, to bring an end to sickness, doing good in the world, doing God's will in the world. Yep, I'm seeing a few nods. And then who knows, we'll probably nod furiously, that there's lots of people, present company included, uh, who do love Jesus, but maybe not doing such a great job <laughs> of it, um, who might rightly have other people looking at us and thinking, is that person a Christian? Is that person one of Jesus' people? What is going on there? There are many of us who do know Jesus, who love Jesus, who call ourselves a Christian, who are still sorting through our junk. Am I right? We're not perfect people. We're not doing his will in everything. And this is because um, God's love has broken through into our life. That's the most important thing, actually. It's not whether um, we're telling kids to pick up rubbish in uh, the school playground. Now, that's, that's a good thing to do if uh, you're allowed to be on the school grounds and you've signed in at the school office. Uh, I found out the hard way that you've got to do that. Uh, but that's because God, we see in Scripture, I mean, Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry says, I've come, I've been sent actually, to use the word that we've been using, the term that we've been, I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel, those who have, have wandered away, those who need to come back. I've been sent to the prodigal sons and daughters, those who have abandoned me and gone and done their own thing, those who are lost. I've been sent to the poor, to the captive, to the blind, to the oppressed, to use some old-timey language, to sinners, right? Jesus came for sinners. And that's why we can say things like this. The church is not 
a museum of saints. What a hospital for sinners. Who's heard that before? I mean, we would hope that it's just part of the truth. I would hope that most churches have a few saints in the congregation. I'm looking around and I'm seeing some saints here this morning. Praise God. Um, But you get this kind of, you get the vibe of this, don't you? That God is drawing the most unexpected people into his story. And he has a special heart for the broken, for the lost. In fact, he seems to have a preference for those people, uh, the scripture points us to. And at the heart of all this, um, the reason why we might struggle uh, when we see exactly who's sitting across the uh, auditorium from us sometimes, the reason why we might struggle to imagine exactly who we might be about to spend eternity with is something that is so foundational to the Christian faith. And yet, for something so foundational, and I'm going to name it, some of you are working it out already, there's a word that I'm about to get to. For something that is so foundational can cause quite divergent opinions. And I had to come to peace as I was preparing this message that it might have that effect that there might be some people some point during this sermon or at the end of it that go, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if he took it too far. What I'm about to talk to you about is something that sounds too good to be true. And because it sounds too good to be true, we will have diverging reactions to it. The desperate amongst us will throw themselves on it, as desperate people do when it comes to things that sound too good to be true, like lotto tickets, like certain stocks and options, uh, like certain uh, pyramid schemes. When you've got nothing left to lose, you double down, don't you? on that one faint hope that there is something, though it might sound too good to be true, that can get you out of the hole that you're in. The other reaction that we might have is to stumble over this thing, is to say, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Show me the fine print. I want to look at the conditions of what it is that I'm about to sign up to. And I'm talking about what Charles Swindle called the loveliest word in the English language. Has anyone guessed what it is yet? It's grace. Grace. So many of us struggle with grace because we are fair-minded people And grace simply is not fair. To the question, what is grace? In his famous book, J.I. Packer responded, in the New Testament, grace means, and this is on the screen, 
God's love in action towards people who merited the opposite of love. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Grace means God sending his only son to descend into hell on the cross so that we guilty ones might be reconciled to God and received into heaven. And then quoting 2 Corinthians 5, J.I. Packer says, God hath made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Fair-minded people, and many of us are, myself included, I hope, will struggle with this completely unfair, unmerited love that God has for the world. And um, I want to talk to you about this this morning. We've been talking about being sent into the world. We haven't talked a lot about what we are sent to say. And a lot lot of the time it's implied. Some churches uh, put more of a focus on this. So week by week you will hear this message. This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. It doesn't get any more complicated than this. What I'm about to preach this morning, what I'm about to proclaim is the nuts and bolts of what it is that we believe as Christians. And it's what God sent his son to do and it's what he then sends us into the world to tell the world about and to show the world. I'm going to be uh, drawing on this passage from the letter to Titus by Paul this morning. And this is the section that we're looking at, Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that, that are his very own, eager to do what is good. If we are sent then this is the message that we are sent with, that God loves the world, that God is fighting for the world. In a way that doesn't seem fair, he seems almost to be breaking his own rules to love the world and bring the world to himself, to bless the world, to free the world, to throw the shackles of oppression off the world, to do his very best for the world. God loves you. God is fighting for you in a way that doesn't even seem fair. He seems to be breaking his own rules just to be with you, to bless you, to free you, to throw the shackles off what oppresses you, to do his very best by you. That's a pretty good message to be sent out with, isn't it? For the grace of God, this letter tells us, has appeared that offers salvation to all people, to all people. The author of Titus here, Paul, leads with the good news that in Jesus, who is the grace of God, God offers salvation to all people. Now, you'll notice that the passage goes on to say that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled and upright, godly lives. But still... 
we read in this passage in Second Titus, in the second chapter of Titus, that God begins with grace. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. I wonder how often in our fair-mindedness as Christians we go out into the world and we get that thing exactly back to front. So we go out into the world and we say, if you get these aspects of your life sorted out, you know, a godly life looks like this. It looks like doing this with your money. It looks like doing this with your body. It looks like doing this with your time. It looks like doing this with those people and not those other people. Then, wow, well, have I got good news for you. You get that stuff sorted out, you might get to have a relationship with Jesus as well. You might even get to come to understand grace once you've got your life sorted out. But that's not what we read here in Scripture. If you say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live a self-controlled, upright and godly life, then you'll come to know about Jesus, gracious Jesus. The Bible is not saying that. It is saying that the unmerited love of God teaches us to live in a certain way. But that's not where we start. We start with grace. That no matter what you've done, what you're doing, where you are, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, who you spend it with, God loves you. He just loves you. Ignatius is gearing up for uh, footy season right now. Uh, The the rounds were released for the AFL. He's asking questions about when he'll be back down uh, at Everton Wolves. And this is a, a bit of a controversial thing in our household because if you know me, I'm a lifelong soccer diehard. This has probably been the major tension point in Graham and my relationship actually over the years. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I've been just amazed at how well... Uh, the AFL has kind of set the Auskick program up. So I don't know if you know about Auskick. Uh, one of the particularly appealing things about it for us is that it's cheap. But <laughs> you go along and they've made a program for young kids, boys and girls, to learn the basics of Australian rules whilst just having a ball. It's very games-based. They've thought through breaking all the skills down and kind of uh, making them appealing to children. Um, and uh, Iggy just loves it, and so all of a sudden we're an Australian rules family. Now, I tell you what they don't do. They don't say, boys and girls, come sit down. Uh, there's a bit that you need to know about Australian rules football if this is going to work. It's physically gruelling. Uh, so let's get on the exercise bikes while I talk to you about the rest of it up in the clubhouse. This is sounding a little bit too much like pre-season, isn't it, Josh? Uh, three months of hard running, then you can touch a ball. That's the old old school uh, way in soccer. But anyway, that's not what they do. Uh, and Okay, so you're going to need to learn to concentrate, actually, if you're going to be good at Australian rules. So here's a manual of all... I mean, I, st- I need to read that manual because if there are rules to Australian rules, um, <laughs> I haven't worked them out. They, they don't sort of start at the end, so to speak. 
They get kids passionate about playing Australian rules football by getting them straight into the fun of it. There's a lot to learn. There is a lot to the game. There's a lot that could potentially be boring if you don't have that opportunity to just experience the joy of running, jumping, kicking, tackling, jumper punching. Um, Now, it's funny, though, that we kind of haven't learnt from something really basic like that as Christians, that things just work better when you get to the good stuff first. And God is not operating that way. God is giving us grace first and then saying, the other stuff will come. Just receive this gift. I love you. I love you. I want the best for you. We can talk about the details later. And it's not a ruse. Um, It's not a trick to kind of get people to come to Jesus. This is God's methodology. He leads with grace because it is the most important thing to him that we come to know his love, that there could be anything a rule or regulation that would stop us from receiving this great gift is his primary concern. And so he lays out this methodology, lead with grace, begin with grace, let grace teach you how to live. Lest you think that this is just my reading, St. Augustine did a lot of work in this space, pretty well known for having uh, a strong grip on the on the uh, on the scriptures and he sums it up like this he says it is not that we keep his commandments first and that he loves but that he loves us and then we keep his commandments this is that grace which is revealed to the humble and hidden from the proud even saint augustine saying it's right there in scripture begin with grace begin with grace begin with grace Paul says this in the book of Romans, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It might seem fair, Paul is saying, to die for somebody who deserves to be died for. But God isn't into fair. Fair is just the beginning for him. God is better than fair. He is love to the point of grace. Unmerited favour, unmerited blessing, love. This is good news. This is the good news that Jesus declared of God's favour for the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed, those of us stuck in our sin. If what Christians call the good news led with the requirements of a godly life, we would all fall at the very first hurdle, wouldn't we? Why would the gospel ask us, the good news, ask us to do something that we couldn't possibly do? Lynn Bell, climb this cliff. It doesn't have any handholds. You don't have any ropes. I'm not giving you any equipment. But there's the state of grace at the top. There's relationship with God. If you can get your life sorted out and get up that cliff, 
things will work out for you with God. It doesn't make any sense. Why would God require that of us? Why would he be telling us to do something impossible? Before we can even begin to think about leading a godly life, we need to experience grace. We need to begin with grace. We need to begin with grace. We need to begin with grace. A friend of mine rather ashamedly told me a story uh, not too long ago where he was madly trying to get the kids out the door and to school and it's particularly chaotic in in this friend's life. Um, I happened to be seeing him just after this event. He jumped in the car once the kids were finally in there, shoved his key in the ignition, turned it, nothing. Wouldn't start. In fact, couldn't even get the key to move. Great. Already late. The kids are late more often than not. So he calls the RACQ. After 20 minutes or so, they send someone out. The RACQ guy gets in the car, puts the car into park, and then starts it for him. Yeah, I know. Ouch. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> I would tell, yeah, friend, yeah. Uh, actually, it's not me, though. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with being that stupid. Uh, I can just imagine the look. I mean, imagine the RACQ guy going back to the... Getting on the CB afterwards, you won't believe what just happened to me. But anyway, I like it as an illustration because we can't even begin to drive. We can't even engage the engine of living the life that God would have us until we're in that place and that state where it makes sense. Until we're in park until we are in the state of grace, until we receive exactly what it is that God wants for us, the fullness of his love for us, we will just be pushing against a tide if we think that we can do any of this by ourselves. We'll be trying to start a Toyota Camry in drive. It doesn't work. We need to begin with grace. God doesn't say, get your life sorted out first. He doesn't say, I love you, but. He says, accept this gift. Accept his love and he will take care of the rest. Grace, Jesus, the person who is grace, will take care of the rest. Is that good news? Well, it's great that you can say that. But if you're anything like me, there's some of you who will be sitting here going, it sounds a bit too good. Did he just say, God says, I love you, that's it? God doesn't say, I love you, but? Surely there's some conditions. Augustine, the second part that I didn't really stress in this statement is not that we keep his commandments first and that then that he then loves us, but that he loves us, then we keep his commandment. This is the grace which is revealed to the humble and hidden from the proud. What happens when we've been on this 
Christian path for a little while is that we take it seriously, right? It's a serious thing. We work hard. We pray hard. We study hard. We make sacrifices. We ascend to that state of grace and then we fall over the other side of it. So often we fall over the other side of grace. We get to thinking that we are doing just about everything as right as it needs to be done. And gracious Jesus gets squeezed out of the picture. And this is my story, the story of many people who've been walking this path for a while. You know, I left uh, several years ago uh, a job that pays better than the ones that I do now that I really loved because I felt that God um, was leading me to kind of work out what it was I believe and how I ought to live. So that took Cheryl and I on a, on a sort of a path of years of education where we weren't really making the money that we could um, and it sometimes felt like we were going backwards a little bit. Um, and then we came back here and I ended up, and some of you have some insight into this, taking a job working in ministry that I didn't particularly want, though it's a, it is a grace to me now. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm saying this because the disciplines of Christianity, the spiritual disciplines have meant a great deal to me. My life has been shaped by seeking out rhythms of prayer, by exercising spiritual disciplines like fasting, by living simply. I um, was down in the park on Friday night with Brother David Stringer, is he here? Um, and we were looking across the river, uh, listening to the thumping music, imagining our friends in the club while we were there uh, setting up a barbecue for the youth group. And it was great to to do that with David. He, When I rocked up, he was already there. He he was kind of sharing his faith with someone. He was handing out the excess food that we had to the homeless community that rocked up. Um, but come 10.30, when I'm back in that park by myself, retrieving the barbecue that I'd had to chain with my bicycle chain uh, to the picnic area so that it didn't get flogged while I rode back here to pick up my car to go out there to pick up the barbecue. I could have got to thinking, what am I doing here? 10.30 on a Friday night, all my friends are into club, uh, my three kids are at home, uh, I've got a pile of marking bigger than I care to think about I'm pretty sure some of my so-called Christian friends are just into club, sitting at home watching football, doing something fun like that. And then I get a call uh, that someone new to Fusion had left their purse in my car, so I'm driving back across town at 10.30. I think I got home, which was so great to be able to return the wallet to this girl, but I think I got home at 11.30. And where were you guys? That's what I want to know. I got little kids. Steve was on the street. Yeah, you you got a pass. Boy, I need grace. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? What does that story look like for you? Here I am busting my balls. Look at my bank account. I know that I'm giving more than anyone else. I rock up early to make sure things are all right for worship. 
practice. Where's everybody else? It's 22. <laughs> or to shift plants around. You see what I'm saying, though? So easily we just go right over the other side. We need not just to begin with grace. We need to end with grace as well. Paul writes about this so compellingly in his letter to the church at Philippi. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in what they can do themselves in their flesh and their merit, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law I was faultless but whatever were gains to me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ what is more I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord grace for whose sake I have lost all things I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And this is where we get this fundamental Christian doctrine that we are saved by grace through faith. Paul is saying, actually, for all that I've achieved, dedicating my life to the faith, you know, to, to, to religion, to God, I recognize it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. It doesn't get me where I need to be with God. The only way that comes is by the gift of God, by grace. God is doing all the work here. God is doing all the work here. God is doing all the work here. Whether we can hardly do a thing right or whether we think we are hardly doing a thing wrong, we need grace. We need grace. And we need to begin with grace. And we need to end with grace. The grace of God, who is Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, needs to be our all in all. We need to begin with grace. We need to end with grace. And everything in between needs to be about living in a state of grace, acknowledging that there is nothing that we could do that could make up for what he does for us, that there is nothing that we've done that could get in the way of his love for us. He loves us. No buts. He just loves us. If there is anything holding us in a state of grace, it is not what we do or don't do, know or don't know. It is who we know. It is Jesus and that he loves us. Begin with grace. End with grace. I've been um, prompted uh, sort of in, internally and externally to try and do a better job of application. Uh, I, I recognise I can be a little bit of a conceptual sort of, of preacher. Um, what do you do with this? I mean, what don't you do with this? There's going to be conversations for you in the coming weeks 
where people are going to say things to you that you do not agree with, that people are going to be doing things that cut right against the grain of everything that you know is right. What does it mean to begin with grace in your response? You know that situation where someone says something to you that you really don't agree with, that you might even find it quite abhorrent. And even though it's kind of polite to find your feet in that situation, your face in that moment has kind of said it. And you find a way out of the conversation as quickly as possible. Someone is going to say to you in the coming weeks, you know, I think this is going to be one of those moments How about this? Someone is saying, would you sign this petition for this thing uh, in the workplace, you know, that you don't agree with? What does it look like to begin with grace in the way that you respond to that? You know, I, I don't know that I agree, but I'd really love to know why you think that. And I've been thinking we should get to know each other better anyway. Could I take you out for lunch? Sometime. People will take issues with what you believe if you're a Christian in the coming weeks. It's guaranteed. It happens to me fairly regularly. I think it's easy when you're easily identifiable as a Christian. You can't really hide (laughs) your faith. Oh, I'm a taxi driver. Oh, cool. Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. Uh, I had a conversation with someone at a fundraiser recently when I t- after we did that and I might have told you this. He said, so you teach people stuff that you can't prove. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. What does it look like to begin with grace in the way that we respond to that? It probably could have been fair for me to respond to that man by deconstructing his epistemology and showing him how from a scientific rationalistic worldview we can't really prove anything. But I don't know that that would have been gracious. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What does it look like? Yeah, What? well, how do you sort of have any certainty about what you believe. I'd love to know what you believe, you know, what you're kind of building your belief on. Can I can I get you a, a beer from the bar and we can continue this conversation? I didn't say that. <laughs> I did the deer in the headlights kind of thing and came up with about six really great arguments after the night was over. You know that feeling? But that's because I just don't feel like I'm beginning with grace and ending with grace enough. I don't think I'm living in this place of grace, 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 beginning, in between, and end, grace. Here's some application. Think about that situation that you know is coming up for you. That colleague, that other parent at school, you know it's going to tick around soon. Sure, think about what would be fair in terms of response. No, I'm not going to sign your petition. I don't believe in that. And then think about the fact that God goes beyond fair. He goes into grace. He goes into love. What does it look like to begin with grace, to live in grace, to end with grace, to in response to whatever comes your way, 
no matter how much that person might not merit the grace in the way that you interact with them, no matter how much they might be just doing evil stuff, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We need to end with grace. Paul, in his letter to the uh, see the, the church at Gaul or the Galatians, talks about this. It was for freedom that Christ Jesus set you free. Stand firm there and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Grace, beginning through an end, living in that place. Of grace. Charlie and Band, would you guys uh, get up and uh, just prepare us to, to close in worship? I don't know uh, if for you, like me, maybe the trap is more about ending in grace. You know, m- maybe you're experienced in this life. Maybe you've done a lot of following Jesus. You've done a lot of hard work to figure out exactly what that looks like on the ground. And the risk is that you're going to slip over the other side into pride. Oh, boy. Grace. (laughs) Grace, I'm there with you. I need that kind of grace. But I also just can't let a moment go past if we're talking about grace. If there's anybody here this morning that needs to hear about how God begins with grace. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in not in park, the keys in the ignition, but life's just not kicking over for you at the moment. It all seems to be there. It's just not working. Maybe there's something that plays deeply on your conscience, something that you fear will get between you and God. Grace. Grace to you. Paul also says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. It just requires that we accept that he is doing this for us in love. That he wants to set us free. That he wants to restore our body, our sight. That he doesn't want us to be trapped in poverty that he doesn't want us to continue to remain under any kind of spiritual, institutional, social, political, economic oppression. He wants to give you the best of life, life abundant, life eternal. It doesn't matter what is in your past. It doesn't matter what is going on in your private life now that might not line up with the values you suspect that God has, with the intention that he has for your life. He just wants 
you to know his love so much that he was willing to give his son for you. The truth is we all are undeserving. We all, by our own merit, would never get off that wall. We're incapable of achieving a state of grace. It is a gift of God for us. Why don't we stand? God, we thank you that you sent your son for us. It's hard to get our head around how unfair you are. (laughs) That you don't give us what we deserve. But that your desire to live with us, for us to know the fullness of life and your love is so great that you're willing to accept us, not on our merit, but on yours. God, if there's anyone here this morning who is just so mindful of their junk right now, that which might separate them from you, descend, I pray, Lord, in your spirit. Give them a revelation of your grace. If that's you, all you need to do is to orient yourself back to God. To open up your heart once again and say, I am making a mess of this. I need your grace, God. But God, for all of us, I pray, send your spirit. grace. Open your heart this morning. God wants to bring it. God wants to bring it. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Thank you, Cornerstone meets at 81.